Hey, everybody. Welcome to True Crime Paranormal. I'm Christy Brower here with my co-host, Katie Weaver, and we are, of course, the Psychic Sisters. Yeah. So, hey, Katie, how are you? <laughs> I I'm hot, man. Yeah. My house is 82 degrees. So, you know, Whoa. this is summer hair. Don't care. And, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> uh, I got to say, I'm yeah. so grateful for uh, central air. I know I'm really spoiled to have that in Idaho because not everybody does, but yeah. it's so hot here right now. It's and, a nightmare. And, and, you know, we knew that today because uh, how many times did the court we were watching today, court proceedings, have to take a recess to turn on the air conditioning and try and cool down that room? Yeah, it was so hot in there. I think they can't run the air because it interferes with their um, audio. Mm-hmm. And so they had, yeah, they turn it on, turn, they take a break, turn the air on for a while, like as, you know, turn it down to 60 or whatever to try to cool it off as best they could. Uh-huh. And then everybody go back in because they're all in masks well not all of them but some of them are in masks mm-hmm. oh, the judge, judge particularly yeah. was cooking <laughs> well in that right. robe i mean i've always thought that looked really really hot mm-hmm. yeah. well we might as well jump right in if you don't know right. what we are talking about we are talking about day one of chad daybell's preliminary hearing this uh has it was from nine a.m. to 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Uh, We have been connected to it all day. If you work with me, I promise I worked all day with this in the background. I got lots done. (laughs) I did also, you know, pay attention to this because it was quite, uh, quite the day. So this is happening in St. Anthony, Idaho, in the Fremont County Courthouse. And this Mm -hmm. is Chad's preliminary hearing on the two felony charges he is facing that are the concealment and destruction of evidence that was about to be uh discovered discovered there we go that's the word i'm looking for which mm-hmm. which really literally what we're talking about is the um concealing and destruction of the bodies of tylee ryan and jj valor so this was quite a day. We're just going to walk you all the way through everything that happened. There were definitely some real aha moments and some bombshells. One of the cool mm-hmm. things about a preliminary hearing is that you start to see a little bit of the prosecution's hand. Not mm-hmm. a lot. They were very, they limited their questions. Mm-hmm. They would just get to the point where you're like, oh man, we've been wanting to know. Nope, they didn't ask that question. Yeah, and, and, it's, and, and it's very strategic. They're not going to give the defense anything they have to you know that they can avoid giving them mm-hmm. um so the the whole point here is simply to prove to the judge that chad should be held over for trial for these charges which yeah. is not it, it in a lot of ways it's kind of a formality because the bodies were found on his property it is not like it's a big secret right but uh, it is still a very important hearing and very important because mm-hmm. his rights have to be respected and so a lot of right. this has to do with making sure that the evidence collection has been done in a legal manner. And so there were tons of questions that seemed so pointless and repetitive today, Mm -hmm. but it really was confirming things like chain of evidence. And did they have the right um, warrants to search where they were searching? And did they have Mm -hmm. the right warrants to get the GPS information from Google? And Mm -hmm. it can be kind of tedious, but it's really important because Mm -hmm. if, if at any point the, um, the uh, defense attorney could, you know, try to get something thrown out and say, you can't count that because it was, mm-hmm. you know, collected illegally. Yeah. Fortunately, so far that has not happened. Although 
Huh. Bombshell at the end today it was pretty interesting. We'll I'm get there. Sure that defense attorney's going to have a lot to say about that tomorrow. Oh, but I'll bet Mark Means is peeing his pants right now, trying to figure <laughs> out how to get that thrown out of Lori's hearing next week. Uh yeah. Wow. That wow. was bad. It was also it was. funny, and we're going to tell you about it. But it, it was. We are. We will get there. But we Holy started the hearing. Oh. Oh yeah. Very contentious, and very much. Um, an experience all of us ex-Mormons have had. And so it may yes. have not made a lot of sense to you, but it does make a lot of sense to us and we will explain mm -hmm. why. And oh, we're yeah. going to actually do a whole episode on the phone call that happened at the end of today's hearing and, and mm -hmm. break it all down for you. But today we're just going to give the basics so that you know what happened. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. So Chad turned up at this hearing again, wearing a white shirt and tie. He and his attorney kind of matched again, sort of blue mm -hmm. looking ties, which I thought was yeah. really funny. Um, they red were not wearing red blue last time. Blue today. Mm -hmm. Um, they were not wearing masks. There was some no. controversy about masks at the beginning that Mr. Pryor, the uh, mm -hmm. defense attorney said he couldn't hear if other people were wearing masks and the judge was trying to balance the safety of everyone in the room with yeah. the, being well, able to hear. And, and it was hard to hear. It was though. Pryor thought that nobody would be able to hear him if he was wearing a mask. You can't He's hear him the guy that won't sit up to the freaking microphone no. he bitched the whole time that he could not hear every witness and yet he was sitting back in his chair like this talking mm -hmm. well no one could hear him it wasn't it had nothing to do with masks but you know no. we're learning about him and and he wants to make a big stink about everything that's what we're everything about. yeah and i know well, that he's a defense attorney that is his job but yeah mm -hmm. He is man. Culture, for sure. Ooh, 30 <laughs> minutes in and you're like, I could not hate this dude more, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And then you got towards the end of the day and you found out, yes, you could. <laughs> yeah. You definitely yeah. could. You definitely could. Yeah. yeah. So the first witness called was Rexburg police detective Ray Hermosillo, which mm -hmm. funnily enough, we went to high school with. Mm -hmm. And he has been on this case since JJ and Tyler were first reported missing. So he was one of the officers that went out for the uh, welfare check um, in December when um, the the word finally got to the Rexburg PD that, hey, we think some kids, at least a kid, if not two kids, are missing in your community. Yeah. Um, I was really proud of Hermosillo. I felt like he did an excellent job. Um, reporting because he's been on this case for eight months. It is a freaking yeah. lot of information to remember. Oh, and man. especially Pryor, with this case, as yeah. you guys know, all and, of the twists and turns. Yikes. Yeah. yeah. Prior just never quit trying to discredit him for not remembering the exact time something happened, which, okay, Prior, uh, let's see if you remember because I'm 100% sure you won't. <laughs> One of my um, favorite parts of that was when Prior was hammering him about the school. And mm -hmm. what date he had been withdrawn from school mm -hmm. and prior try or the last day he, that JJ had been at school and prior yeah. tried to nail him down. And Hermosillo says, actually, sir, that's incorrect. <laughs> and gave him the yeah. correct information and everyone <laughs> cheered in their yes. hearts. In their hearts. <laughs> yes. We so all great. cheered as we were watching on our TVs at home. Mm -hmm. So they reviewed first the welfare check that happened on November 26th mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, the detec detective from Sierra was there. And so he did talk about that. He talked about mm -hmm. asking uh, Chad Daybell when he last saw JJ, he 
talked about talking to Alex Cox and about how evasive Chad and Alex were sort of implying they didn't really know this Lori Vallow person, you know, and mm-hmm. at this point, Chad was married to her and Alex was her brother. Uh, so yeah, that was dumb. Yeah, Alex um, claimed to not know her phone number. Yes, Alex and claimed, Chad to claimed to not really know her at all. Just kind yeah, of knew he didn't who she really was. know her at all. He it turns out he was married to her. Uh, we did get a really interesting piece of information during uh, Hermesio's, uh testimony in that they do know the exact date that Chad and Lori were married, and they are legally married in Hawaii. Yes, uh, we're, we're legally married in Hawaii, so they are legally mm-hmm. married. That has been a question all along because Hawaii yeah. does not make their marriage certificates public. Mm-hmm. And so there's been questions all along and they were very evasive about what day it was and haven't really been yeah. honest with anybody. It was November 5th. Yeah, they have been married since November 5th. So they are in mm-hmm. fact married. Um, why they were evasive about that. I still don't yeah. fully understand other than that. Neither one of them can tell the truth if it smacked them straight in the face. So, right. Yeah. 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 So, um, so well, and they, then later when they questioned Lori, Lori mm-hmm. didn't seem to know Chad. Yeah. She said he was, I don't know. Chad, that was probably my brother's friend. Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what you guys, this was so chilling and crazy because this was in the body cam. So actually, mm-hmm. I'm jumping way ahead, but this was yeah, in the this body is not cam. in this isn't it's in Hermes. So, but, but I'll tell get- you anyway, since yeah, well, let's cover it since we're here on Chad and Lori and their lives. But yeah, so said, yeah, go ahead. So when they were this was body cam, so it was later on, and we will publish the body cam uh, stuff for you guys. Yeah, but he <laughs> she said she didn't know Chad, he was her brother's friend. Then she finally, you know, says his name is, I don't know, Chad Daybell. I don't know. He's like an author or something. And they're like, didn't his wife just die? (laughs) That that sounds familiar. Yeah. That grabbed me. I I suspect it grabbed them too. Yeah. Um, I I suspect it grabbed them too. Of course, in in this situation, they cannot give their opinions or their thoughts behind what happened. They can just report what they did. So um, after the welfare check, you know, they find out that um, JJ is in fact, you know, they lied. She lies to JJ. Lori lies to the police. And they initially say that JJ is with his grandma, Kay Woodcock, which Mm -hmm. is exactly who reported JJ missing, of course. And so they know that isn't true. So then they get this big old runaround from Chad and Lori to contact their friend, Melanie Gibb, who they say is in Arizona. And he has, uh, she has JJ. She has JJ. Yeah. So then they go through, um, you know, trying to contact her. She doesn't respond. But they, later determine with in talking to her that Chad initially called her and said, Hey, the Rexburg PD are going to call you. Don't answer the phone. And then Lori contacted her and said, Hey, they're going to contact you and want to know if you have JJ, please just tell him you do. And here, take some pictures, go to the movie theater, take some pictures and tell him that you're at frozen too. And that he's in, you know, that he's running around with some other kids. Yeah. So they absolutely ask her to lie. Mm-hmm. She's pretty, confused by this mm-hmm. although at that time she, Lori had already told her right. that she had relinquished jj to k to k yes had told jk that she had breast cancer and could no longer care for him and given him to k that is what mm-hmm. melanie believed to be true 
Mm-hmm. So they find out none of that is true, of course. And so they get a search warrant for these three um, townhouses that are on Pioneer Road, which is just a couple of miles from Katie's house. For apartments 175, 174, and 107. And they can't stop lying about who lives in which apartment. You know, they just can't get the truth out of anyone. And so they were rented by Lori Vallow, Alex Cox, and Melanie Boudreaux. Now, interestingly, um, apartment 107 was empty. Didn't have anything in it. Yeah. Um, In 175, they find some of JJ's belongings, a prescription with his name on it, a suitcase with his name on it. But the weird thing about in 175 is there's no clothing in the closets or dresser drawers. And so that was really strange because it appeared that people were living there in other ways, mm-hmm. but there were no clothes in that house. Mm-hmm. But unit 107 that was supposedly was supposedly Lori's mm-hmm. apartment was empty. Yeah. So they search, they serve these search warrants. They find, you know, it's just all sketchy as hell. Mm-hmm. And so then they find out that there's a, there is a storage unit. So they get a search warrant for the storage unit. And this is all still Hermesio talking mm-hmm. because he was a part of all of this. Yeah. Goes to the storage unit. Um, in there, they find old winter clothes and blankets. Um, things that be- should belong to children. There were blankets that were made mm-hmm. that had family pictures on them. Yeah, Yeah, but like children's belongings and winter clothes were there. And this is in November in Idaho. Mm -hmm. Um, Children would definitely be needing their winter clothes. They were in a storage unit. Mm -hmm. Another bizarre thing. Um, So then as they continue through this process, Hermeseo talks to Colby Ryan, who is Tylee Ryan's older brother. Mm -hmm. And then they realize that you know, not only does no one know where JJ is, but no one knows where Tylee is either. Yeah. And they do show a photo that if you haven't seen it, I would be surprised because it's been around a bunch. It's a picture of JJ, Tylee, and Alex Cox at a, at Yellowstone Park on September 8th, 2019. Mm-hmm. This is the last photo of Tylee alive. Yeah. They got it from Lori's iCloud account. So they start searching, you know, they start getting the electronic warrants to get you know, search their phones and their, you know, the iCloud accounts and that kind of thing. And they get a bunch of pictures, but they get to a point where there is no picture of Tylee past September 8th. They also find a picture of JJ sitting on a couch on Mm -hmm. September 22nd of 2019. Also the last picture of JJ living. Mm -hmm. So they've used these pictures to kind of estimate their times of death. They think that Tylee died around the 9th of September and that JJ died around the 22nd or 23rd of September. Yep. And this is where all of that came from. Yeah. So then in January, Hermesio went to Kauai Mm -hmm. and served Lori Vallow with the order, the child protection order, demanding that she produce her kids in Rexburg within five days Mm -hmm. uh, of January 25th. So Mm -hmm. by January 30th, she was to show up in Rexburg either to the Department of Health and Welfare with her kids or to the police department. Mm-hmm. Um, there was never any sign of JJ or Tylee in Hawaii when he was there. Yeah. And she did not show up. She violated that order, did not come. Uh, that was a really big deal here when it did happen. Um, mm-hmm. 
the the woodcocks were here there was lots of press around there were a bunch of things you know happening in the area but she never showed yeah nor, nor did the children we know why mm -hmm. now uh then hermesia went back to Kauai in february and served Lori with an arrest warrant. That was on February 20th. She was arrested by the police there in Kauai. And mm -hmm. that's when she first appeared in a courtroom. And he was there. Hermosillo was there. He did witness that Chad was also in the courtroom. And um, that's kind of where they moved. So, you know, they're, they're basically saying that Hermosillo as a detective was present in all of these events mm -hmm. as a witness, as the police officer. I was there. I served the warrant. I did this. I did that. It's, it's part of the procedure that mm -hmm. they're approving. We did it all right. Here's yeah. the officer that was there through all of it who can tell you. Mm -hmm. So then they fast forward to June 9th. And June 9th is when... Hermosillo was part of the group of um, law enforcement from three, three agencies who went to Chad's house in Fremont County to serve a search warrant. So Hermosillo was there uh, when they served the search warrant in which they actually excavated the backyard and found the bodies of the children. Hermosillo was present when the bodies were found. This was a particularly challenging part of the hearing to listen to. Mm -hmm. um, because they were talking about pretty, um, most graphic, yeah, pretty graphic things. And, and, you know, the, the sick part about it is that you should see Chad's face through all of it. Oh, just either yeah. resting, resting toad face is what I'm calling mm -hmm. it because he yeah. has this weird down, down frowny toady look on his face when he's mm -hmm. like, just got a neutral look on his face. Yeah. Um, it was creepy. There was no um, remorse. There was no sadness. And, you know, I mean, Hermosillo, you know, kind of had to pause and take a breath a few times during mm -hmm. sharing this because he talked about uh, working with the FBI ERT team and the um, cadaver dogs and about mm -hmm. the two areas in the backyard where they dug up um, a body Oh, yeah, JJ. And another place where they dug up what he called burnt human tissue and bone. Yeah. And he said present with the burnt human tissue and bone was mm -hmm. a green bucket that was melted like it had been burned as well. Mm -hmm. And when they pulled that out underneath was a partial human skull. Yeah. Now what he's referring to is that this is what's left of Tylee's body. They had a really weird conversation through all of this about what it smelled like, which was really strange. Um, and Hermosillo did say he has been around decomposing bodies many times in his career and that, um, you know, he recognized that smell immediately. Well, but prior. Oh, go prior. ahead. Well, yeah. yeah. Then prior gets into this whole thing about, but have you ever smelled human tissue and bone burning? Which is, I don't know, prior, have you? Like, uh, it, was, oh, it was really well, He must have, because he just right. kept saying. He just he wouldn't let it go. He was trying. Smell. Yes, a very distinct. I think what he was trying to imply without implying it, because he's not allowed to give evidence in this mm -hmm. situation, is that if, in fact, that body was burned there, that the neighbors would have noticed the smell. Right. Which is you ridiculous, know, because this is. is a rural area. It the is. Thing it's that, the very thing that you would know. say if you were a city person coming out yeah. to rural Fremont County. Totally. This house is out in the country. 
people burn things yes. on their property all the time. It could right. have been burning garbage. Some people don't get, have a garbage service. They burn their trash. You yeah. could have been burning, you know, you could have been burning your ditches. Yeah. You could have been burning leaves and shit. You could have been burning yeah. a dead yeah. animal. You yeah. could have been, uh, you guys uh, hopefully have never had the experience of being present for branding cattle, but oh, that's yeah. exactly what that smells like. But if yes. you're branding, everything smells like burning hair and flesh and it's horrifying. Right. But, but people in that know, community would not have thought that was strange. Not that you'd be branding in the fall, usually brand in the spring, but you know, uh, that's how they take the, the nubs off of goats. I mean, there's lots right. of reasons why you would have smelled something like that. That is completely normal in yeah. a rural area like that. Yeah. It was he, a non-argument. It was a non-argument. He did a lot of this arguing, lots of procedural stuff, lots of objections that he lost most of them. Um, yeah. but, but this whole idea, well, he wanted to know if um, Detective Hermosillo had ever um, smelled that smell before. Yeah. And, and he said, not really, but I kind of, you know, almost like he couldn't, you know, you, he couldn't have possibly, he actually said, I'm just trying to get to how, you know, that that was burned flesh and bone as though smelling it was the only way to know. Yeah. Uh, he was looking at it and Hermosillo said, um, you couldn't smell the burn smell because all you could smell was decomp. Yeah. But it was a really bizarre conversation, a really unnecessarily graphic, like what mm -hmm. the hell you're the defense attorney. You want to make this worse for people? Like this just makes people hate your, well, your and, guy works, you know, and it was really strange. The Woodcocks were sitting directly oh, behind God. him. They were. And it they, was brutal. It was brutal. There was a point during that time where Larry pulled his mask off. You could see him mouth the words, that son of a bitch, and yep. then cry and cry and cry. It was oh, extremely it was so... hard on the Woodcocks today. It just broke everybody's hearts to witness that. It was awful. So brutal because they had to describe. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason they're describing the, the removal of the bodies and where they were placed, they were, they were confirming chain of evidence, I believe. So they were, yeah. you know, they put them in the coroner's truck. And then the next day they take drive from the coroner's truck to Ada County to Boise, because we don't actually have um, a medical examiner here. And so we had to go all the Boise is five hours away mm -hmm. to take the bodies there. And so every officer that was present for that, that was um, on the stand today, the prosecutor went through that process with each of them, basically just mm -hmm. confirming this. They followed chain of evidence that the bodies were never left in a way that they could have been tampered with, you mm -hmm. know, that they were protected and, and, and held in the right custody the entire time. Yeah. Uh, but it was pretty brutal. Um, the it other was. thing that was brutal Just was the whole note here quickly. Uh, no. I did. I put up a picture of Detective Hermosillo so that you guys can oh, see yes. who we're talking about. We'll try and mm -hmm. do that as we go since uh, this is a very he, tangled web. So that you he spent two hours, two, more than two hours, more than two hours, four hours on the standish. Yeah, it was it was long. It was and he way. held up really, really well. Yeah, gosh, he, he sure did. He sure did. The one of the other really brutal conversations was about the pet cemetery. Um, so in, in finding the bodies of the children, they also located um, the bodies of a dog and a cat. And mm -hmm. there's this you know, discussion that this family has had a pet mm -hmm. cemetery in their backyard where they bury their animals after they pass away. And, mm -hmm. you know, basically making the, the defense attorney, making Hermosillo say that, yes, he did find a cat and a dog buried there. And he did witness that it was, it's just brutal. Like I, it was just mm -hmm. kind of mean and pointless. It was very strange. Yeah, it was awful. 
Yeah. Awful, awful. So I did share a picture here of Woodcocks, and this is exactly the scene that we were describing with Larry. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, it was awful. And yeah, it really, it was gut-wrenching to have to watch them listen to this and know that they're mm -hmm. referring to JJ, their grandson, and also Tylee, who they knew and cared about and was their, was, was their niece, you know, yeah. it was just a horrible experience to have to go through that. Yeah. Um, so Hermesio did talk about going to Ada County and um, with the bodies and being present when they were examined by the medical examiner and, and what it, what it looked like when they cut that black bag open and to find JJ inside because mm -hmm. he was in like a black trash bag. Yeah. He said he was wearing red pajamas, uh, shirt and pants and Skechers socks. Yeah. And, and there was a blue and white blanket placed on top of him. Mm -hmm. But one of the, the things that um, was uh, very strange, and I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about this when we hear from the medical examiner on this case, was the amount of duct tape on JJ's body. He mm -hmm. had duct tape on his head, his wrists and his ankles were bound, and then his hands were sort of crossed over his chest, and then there was duct tape wrapped round and round and round his body many times mm -hmm. around, holding his hands against his chest. Mm -hmm. And there was duct tape wrapped tightly from his chin to his forehead, several yeah. layers. Yeah. They did not go into why that is. They did not go into anything about what the medical examiner has to say about that. And that may not come out in this hearing. That may be uh, something that comes out at trial. That's sort of mm -hmm. where they stopped yeah. with what the medical examiner was doing. But I thought that was particularly disturbing. I did too. I did too. Well, and, and you know, he said remarkable amounts of duct tape. That's yeah. Right. Like yeah. layer after layer after layer. It was also mm -hmm. kind of an indication indicator that it would probably take two people to do that. Yeah. You think about that. How are you going to lift a body like that and put tape around it? To me, yeah. this is just my own assumption. It indicates more than one person being involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then we get into uh, Mr. Pryor questioning Hermesio in which he mm -hmm harps on the fact that Hermesio did not have a body cam on when he talked to Chad and Alex um, that first day at the welfare check. Now, yeah. the thing you have to know is the body cams are not required in Idaho. No. And they're not required by Rexburg PD. Whether you think they mm -hmm. should be or not, they aren't. They are uh, voluntary, and we're going to get to that because another officer wears his everywhere he goes in every situation yeah. he's in. And so we do actually have body cam of most of, of mm -hmm. most of this because he was present. But Hermosillo mm -hmm. did not have a body cam on. He said it did not seem to warrant it at the time because at the time yeah. this was a welfare check. Well, Pryor said, don't you think this was a pretty significant case? At the time, it was just a welfare check. Right. So, this was before no. they had any idea. Yeah. Dumbass. It wasn't. Later on. Not yeah, at the time. Not yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. That went on. He harped on that a whole bunch. Oh, he hammered on that. He testified himself on that until Wood had absolutely oh. had enough of him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then they did have the conversation about JJ's school and when he was last seen at mm -hmm. school, which was September 23rd. Mm -hmm. The last time um, they believe this is the last time that he was at school. Mm -hmm. um, there was this whole conversation about how if if Hermosillo had never met JJ or Tylee, how he could identify them. And he talked about how he has seen hundreds of videos and pictures of them mm -hmm. and that he would know them anywhere because of all everything that he's seen and watched. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, let's see. And we don't have to get into all of Pryor's objections because it was just mm-hmm. so many objections. Really- Every time he wanted to approach, the judge didn't want them to approach because they can't hear. And yeah. they're going to have to yell at each other through the uh, the barrier <laughs> between them and the judge. And yeah. when they approach, that isn't stuff that the uh, press is supposed to get to hear. So every time they would approach, they would have to sidebar in the judge's quarters yes. and then come back over and over again. And Pryor would be like, your honor, do we need to have another sidebar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He was like, oh, again, really? Mm-hmm. So they took a lunch break. And after the lunch break, they called uh, Lieutenant Ron Ball mm-hmm. to the state. Lieutenant Ron Ball has been um, with the Rexburg PD for nearly my entire life. Years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really long time. We, you know, I certainly know who he is. And familiar oh, yeah. With his name. Mars played softball with his daughter for years. Yeah. 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 Their family for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So he also was present when the remains of the children were found. He also went to Ada County for the autopsies. It's just another step of here's another officer present. Here's another um, person confirming chain of command or chain of evidence. Mm -hmm. He wasn't on the stand for very long. It was just kind of he was there to confirm all that same stuff because he is um, one step above Hermosillo. Right. He's a lieutenant. Yeah. Yeah. He's a lieutenant. Well, he's also graduated from, I'm going to say this wrong, but I'm going to say FBI Academy, which Mm -hmm. is probably incorrect, but he's gone to all of the work to actually be an FBI agent, but has chosen to stay at Rexburg on the RPD because this is actually where he wants to be. But you know, this guy is very very well educated and seasoned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so then they call police detective David Stubbs to the stand. So he mm-hmm. has been with uh, the Rexburg Police Department for 25 years. Yep. He's the technology and internet crimes against children guy for Rexburg PD. Mm-hmm. And so he got first involved in the case when he was asked to locate a vehicle um, that police in Arizona were interested in. So one of the vehicles that had belonged probably to Charles Vallow or Lori. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's when he got involved. So this is the part of the hearing that gets really tedious and boring. <laughs> oh, boy. And so I will just explain, I'm not going to go through everything he did because it's so hard, but basically what's happened is that they used GPS from Alex Cox's phone to find the, children and to determine um you know when when and where they they discovered um in in going through his gps that he had spent a fairly significant amount of time in chad daybell's backyard Mm -hmm. and of course that was suspicious and so this was all very procedural about all of the what did they say it's like 780 page reports from google on their satellite data on their gps data for Mm -hmm. the um time frame that they asked for on alex cox's phone they didn't get into chad and laurie's phones but i i suspect that that's coming Mm -hmm. um but basically they were talking about on the days that they believe that the children were buried they can show uh that alex was present in chad's backyard for significant Mm -hmm. amounts of time hours at a time Mm -hmm. so this took a huge amount of time, basically just to prove. And a lot of it was, uh, you know, some of it was about, you know, showing the GPS map of the townhouse complex where Lori and Alex were living. 
And then when his movements and when he went certain places, including Chad's backyard on the days that they believe the kids were, were buried. So yeah. that went on for a long time. And it was a lot about just proving that they had done it correctly and legally Mm-hmm. Because accessing your GPS information is a really big deal. You know, you can't right. violate people's rights about that. No. But, and uh, but, Alex's uh, email address was what? His <laughs> username? Say. Homer you J. Say. Maximus. Yeah. yeah. They weren't even, they, in open they court. said it like 25 times. <laughs> the prosecutor. Homer J. Maximus. Homer J. Maximus's account. Homer J. Maximus's device. Oh my God, that killed me. That, that was, was way funny. funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they talked a lot about that. Then they did mm-hmm. talk about because Stubbs wears a body cam all the time. Mm-hmm. He feels like it's the best um, thing to do. It's his personal choice because his department doesn't require it, but he does. Mm-hmm. And so he did have body cam footage of some things that no one else had. Yeah. Um, well, I guess that's not true. Ball had some body cam footage as well. Mm-hmm. but Stubbs, it, it's his personal policy to always mm-hmm. wear body cam footage. And so he yeah. has body cam footage mm-hmm. um, talking uh, with Chad Daybell. And, you know, there's some footage that they didn't actually show sure. that footage. Well, no, was, we weren't allowed to was, see it. We were only allowed to hear ball, it. Though? I thought that was Ball that we saw with Lori, not Stubbs. No, it was Stubbs. It was, was it Stubbs? Stubbs? Okay. It so was Stubbs. This, this was a. This was really interesting. Uh, do you want to describe it, Katie? Kind of because we didn't get well, to watch it. We only got to hear it. Right. We could only hear it. So basically, Stubbs and I believe Hermesio went to the door, mm-hmm. and or this was later, so it might not have been Hermesio. It might have been Holt. But anyway, Stubbs and somebody went to the door, you know, to double check with Lori what's going on here, right? But to finally make contact with Lori, right? Mm-hmm. Because they had only made contact with her brother and her husband who you know didn't actually know her weirdly so had no idea yeah they knock on the door so Lori is this paranoid trying to be a ball of sunshine flirty you know happy little beauty queen that that's how you know I think Lori's gotten a lot of her uh you know gotten her way quite a lot but at any rate yeah um and they kind of I don't know they bought into it a little I thought but maybe just in their you know, politeness, but anyhow, they basically, you know, they're asking her, we're, we're doing a welfare check on JJ. And she of course says that she, that he is in, you are in Arizona with Melanie Gibb. She tells them that she's in hiding because her brother is trying to kill her. Yes. Now that was there with her because he's her protector, but a different Mm -hmm. brother. This brother is my protector. It's a different brother. Well, there's only one other brother, and that's Adam Cox. She says he has been in Rexburg pounding on her door, that he was colluding with her husband to cash out on a big life insurance policy that her husband had on her, and they were going to kill her together and then cash out on that policy. But, you know. She's too dumb. She told her own story. Right? The (laughs) gaslighting's so crazy, you know, that that was the story she told Anyway, and they were literally like, well, do you need protection? Like, do we need to come help out? Like, what do you need? You know, and she's like, oh, no, no, I think it's all fine now. But she also told him a big tale about how, you know, Kay Vallow was trying to steal JJ from her and JJ is her son. And it was something to behold. We will publish that, the the audio of it. Not in this, uh, uh, you know, obviously we're live. We just don't, you can't. 
You can't do it all at once, but we will publish that because honestly, you guys, if you didn't already hear it, you will be freaking dumbfounded. It, it really gives you a great picture into Lori's personality and how she's gotten away with so much crap yeah. because she's very, she, yeah. she's attempting to be, and I guess we just don't have the same response because we know what she's done and also probably because we're women, but you know, these, mm -hmm. these women that are just, they're just always in trouble and someone's always picking on them and oh, Mr. Mm -hmm. Officer, it's not me. I'm a good person, but everyone's mean to me. Mm -hmm. It's that she kind of She literally said, I'm a good person. I'm a good mother that has done everything for my children and done everything I was supposed to do. She literally yeah. said that. She yeah. did. And keep in mind, this is in November. Her children have been dead for mm -hmm. two months mm -hmm. when she's saying all of this. When she's saying all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Just crazy. And and all the horrible things she said about Kay Woodcock. This, and this happened several times in this hearing where Lori's reports of how horrible Kay Woodcock is were, you know, being said in a room with Kay Woodcock there. And I'd found that really, it, that was painful to watch and so unfair mm -hmm. because frankly, I still don't know if we'd know if these kids were missing if it weren't for Kay and Larry Woodcock. You know, Absolutely. they were the ones who gave a damn and finally started talking to the police and saying, we don't know where these kids are. Mm -hmm. And it was really sad because she talked a lot about what a terrible person Kay is and how Kay's doing all these terrible things to her. And it was, it was really sad. It just, you know, really shout sad. out to Kay and Larry for everything that they have done because mm -hmm. their treatment in this has been incredibly unfair. Oh, so much. And as I was listening to that, my heart just really melted for Kay because, or went out to Kay because I thought, you know, even though we know that what happened to these kids was the fault of Lori, Chad, and Alex, yeah. there has to be a tiny little itty bitty bit of guilt in her that goes, "Had did I do something? Could I have done something different? You know there is. I know there is because I've worked yeah. with people for a million years now that are going yeah. through death and people will find a way to make themselves guilty. And yeah. I hope that Kay can find total peace here. She did not cause I this. This was not too. her fault in any way whatsoever. But you know, you know, there's that part of you that's going to go, did I do something wrong? Did I cause this? And Kate did not. Or did I not do enough? This. Or had I called the yeah. police sooner or whatever? Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, no yeah. one knew this was going to be the outcome or they would have, you know, oh. this would have happened. But, yeah, that was tough to take. And it was tough mm -hmm. because it was so flippant and cute and, you know, and her mm -hmm. kids are dead. She has participated in the death of her two children. They yep. have been buried in her husband's backyard for more than two months. And yep. this is how she's speaking to the police. It was horrifying. It was, it was well. And just, even though, you know, we all have our own little, you know, diagnoses and labels that we want to slap on Lori to hear it, you know, to hear that level of whatever you want to call her, it, you know, lying to their faces and the way she was portraying herself as this damsel in distress Oh yeah. It's pretty freaking amazing. Yeah. yeah. Just so flippant. It just, ooh, it was really tough. Yeah. 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 Yes. So that was Stubbs on mm -hmm. the, on the stand. And then we had a very brief visit from Wynn Hill and Wynn Hill is the mm -hmm. Dean of Students for BYU Idaho, which is the university in Rexburg. Mm -hmm. One of the things that um, had been reported to Melanie Gibb as well as other people is that Tylee wasn't at home because Tylee was going to BYU-Idaho and she was living in the dorms and she was off with her friends and there were all these lies. So they brought in right. Wendell, um, because in February, 
they had Winhill go through and search all of their records. So they searched applications, current students, past students, everything for Tylee Ryan, Tylee Cox, and Tylee Vallow. So they wanted to try different last names just to be mm-hmm. sure. Absolutely, has there not ever even been an application to attend BYU-Idaho mm-hmm. from Tylee? Uh, oh, Which, and they did use her birth date, 924 of 2002. Yeah. So they're, Which you know, they just. sense because Tylee wasn't even old enough to live on campus. She uh, could have no. attended BYU-Idaho and lived at home, but she wasn't even old enough to live on the she dorm, on campus and in the dorm. She was 16 years old. She was 16 yeah. years old when she died. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really brief. Um, but I think just furthering the, you know, here here's more lying going on about where these children are. And proof of that. So then a weird thing happened. I think it was a, first it sort of sucked the air out of the room. Yeah. And so the next uh, witness for the prosecutor was to be Melanie Gibb. Mm -hmm. And Katie and I are messaging each other like, oh, it's getting good now. Like, this is it. Because Melanie Gibb was... Lori's best friend, Melanie Gibb, is the person that Lori and Chad asked to lie to the police about Tyler mm-hmm. or about JJ's location. Melanie Gibb has given uh, some very extensive interviews to the police as well as to the media, our local media, mm-hmm. about what she knows about this situation. Melanie Gibb is definitely an on the inside of the situation person, and I don't mean culpable as in. She was involved in the kids' deaths, but in on the inside, as far as the Chad and Lori cult, crazy religious mm-hmm. stuff, she was very much involved with that. She also was well aware that Chad and Lori were having an affair. Oh, yeah. She spent much, a lots couple of, time of years. With them. Yeah, while they yes. were cheating on their spouses. Yes, she was well aware of all of that. So they call her to the stand. And then nothing happens and nothing happens and she doesn't come in the courtroom. And then after a few minutes of waiting, you see the prosecutor and his assistant sort of, they're all talking. And then the prosecutor asks for a recess. And so we have a 15 minute recess. And that was a really weird moment. Like, what the hell? Did she not show up? Is she refusing to testify? Did she have a panic attack? Was she what she happened? In the bathroom throwing up? You know, like mm-hmm. what's going on? Because Something. this, is, yeah, because this is a big witness. Mm-hmm. This is a big witness. And like you said, Katie, that this was it was the first time you really saw any emotion out of Chad or any reaction yeah. out of Chad at all when he said her name. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, Chad had color in his face, and he'd gone through this entire day just as pasty and white as he always is. Oh, yeah. And it was getting hot in there. Everyone face, was like always. Sweating. Yeah. And he was just, yeah, sitting there with that bullfrog face with no mm-hmm. emotion at all. And mm-hmm. suddenly they say Melanie Gibbs' name. His face is red. He's got his hands up here, kind of up like this around his face, you know. Mm-hmm. It, totally different Chad all of a sudden. Here he is. Yeah. yeah then there was, because, you know. I don't want to use the term she knows where the bodies are buried because I don't think she did, but kind of like that. She knew some stuff. So 15-minute recess ends. They call Melanie Gibb to the stand, and she comes walking in and walks up to the stand. So we don't know at this point why she didn't initially, Um, but that was a really, uh, that was a really, like, oh, my God moment. Yeah. So they were specifically asking her about her visit 
to Rexburg on September 19th through September 23rd. Yeah. So she says that she came to see Lori and attend a conference. Now, this is big because we have known for a while or had some intel mm-hmm. that there was a conference that weekend. And that's why she was here and may have brought some other people in this, shall we call it, wackadoodle cult into our community. Yeah. And this was finally confirmed in mm-hmm. her statement. So I I was like, oh, my God, Katie, we knew it. We right. knew it. We knew it. We knew it. We've just been waiting to, yeah, be able to say it and confirm it. So the conference was held at Madison Middle School. Why was the conference held at Madison Middle School? Good damn question. Well, we'll tell you why. Yes, we will. Some of you guys will recognize the name Jason Mao, right? Mm -hmm. Or Mo, Mao. I think it's Mao. Jason Mao is another friend of Chad and Lori's. He was a podcaster. He's written books. He was the guy who was in the movie about the zombie children. You, you might recall us talking about that. Right. Yeah. Well, Jason Mao has a sister in Rexburg, whose husband is the principal of Madison Middle School. Their last name is Bone. And so here comes one of these groups, and they use Madison Middle School, which I think is very odd. Really wonder if the school district knew about that, because this was Mm -hmm. a religious meeting called Mm -hmm. Firm Foundation, Mm -hmm. and it was, um, I'll just read this so that you can, it was uh, the 24th International Book of Mormon Evidence Conference, and if you don't know, which, hello, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life, Um, evidence, yeah, sure, Um, yeah. So if you don't know, the Book of Mormon is a, is a, is a scriptural book that Mormons use. Mm-hmm. So this, this event was held in three different locations, one of which was Rexburg at the Madison Middle School. And they even published the mm-hmm. name of the school and the address, which I really think someone probably ought to call up the school, the uh, school district office and say, hey, did you know that the uh, junior high principal is... Using your school on weekends for religious events because I'll bet you a hundred dollars they're not supposed to do that. Probably not, but in this town, I'm sure it's happened lots and lots of times. It probably has, but it's wrong on many levels. Um, mm-hmm. Also, it just was a confirmation to us about why was Melanie Gibb here that weekend. Yeah, yeah. Now we know. It now we know. It we was looking for a preparing the people conference here that weekend because we knew there was a conference turns out it was there was a conference it wasn't a preparing the people conference it was something else it was something else but yeah because it is rather interesting you know why were they here this particular weekend because this is the same time period in which it is believed that jj was killed yes the last Evidence of of his life, proof of life, was on mm-hmm. September twenty second. Mm-hmm. Melanie Gibb left the morning of September twenty third. Yep. The last that she saw JJ was Alex Cox bringing him into their the townhouse, carrying him asleep, asleep, asleep on his shoulder. No way of knowing mm-hmm. if uh, he's asleep or not. But uh, that was very interesting. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, Melanie goes on to talk about her experiences with Chad and Lori asking them to lie to the police. Don't don't answer the police's calls or lie and say that JJ is with you. This is when um, Melanie gets very confused mm-hmm. about um, you told me that she's with Kay, that you were going to tell Kay you have breast cancer so that you can, you know, give him to her. And. So she did talk about that and confirm the things that the police had already said had occurred, that she did talk to the police in Gilbert, uh, Arizona, which is where she's from. So she didn't talk to the Rexburg PD at at that time, but she did talk to an officer in Gilbert. And when the prosecutor asked her why she didn't talk to the Rexburg PD, she said, because Chad told me not to. Yes, because Chad told me not to. Now, a very interesting thing about all of this with Melanie is that the way that the seating is for in, in the witness uh, the, the judge called it the witness cubicle because it's surrounded by plexiglass right now. Um, The way that she's seated in her chair and, 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 you know, facing the microphone so they can hear her. She's looking at the prosecutor. Uh Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can't really change that because of the way that it's all set up. But Mm -hmm. the, uh, the uh, defense attorney at one point kind of, kind of accused her of putting all of her attention on the prosecutor and not looking over the other mm-hmm. way. It did seem quite obvious. She was trying not to look at Chad and, mm-hmm. and who would want to. The judge told her he needed her to turn her chair. She literally, <laughs> she literally turned her back to the judge, like looking into the corner. And he was yeah. like, no, no, the other way. Yes. Ma'am. Yeah. The judge wanted you to turn your back to the prosecutor. That's what we yeah. were asking for. Right. Okay. She kind of turned toward him for a minute and really didn't and just kind of went back to what she was doing. But it it seemed mm-hmm. a little bit to me like Pryor was trying to intimidate her by trying to oh, make absolutely. her turn and look toward them because absolutely. it was quite clear that she did not want to even look at Chad. Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is when a lot more of the K bashing came out and the things that she reported that she was told by Lori. Now I find all of this really interesting because every bit of what Melanie said is hearsay. She was reporting what Lori and Chad said to her and the defense attorney did not object to anything that she said. Did you find that weird? I thought it was crazy because he had bitched about hearsay all day long. He, he had with say, the police officers that the police officers couldn't say, that, say things. Right. He tried to say that Detective Hermosillo couldn't uh, answer a question that the prosecutor asked him about his own experience because it was hearsay. And yeah, the prosecutor's yeah. like, I'm asking him a question about his own experience. How in the world could that be hearsay? Like that was right. on the tip of his tongue all day. Yet Melanie Kip gets on the sca- stand and nothing yeah it was really 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 strange Mm -hmm. um and so i the whole time i kept thinking this is all hearsay and she's just spouting it and he is not stopping he's not saying anything which really makes me wonder what's going to happen tomorrow Mm -hmm. so she says some things like Lori told me that she'd received emails from Kay that said Uh, It's not like I'm going to kidnap them about the kids and that Mm -hmm. she was just trying to protect JJ from Kay and possibly other family members that there were other family members that also wanted him. This kid was six okay, or seven. Let's just be real. But, you know, you know, because Adam was also going to kill her as don't you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. Because Adam was also going to kill her. So there was all this really paranoid stuff. She implied or didn't imply, but actually said that Lori told her that the Rexburg police were in cahoots with Kay. Yeah. And that that's why she couldn't talk to the Rexburg police. So that's why she spoke to the officer in Gilbert, Arizona instead, Mm -hmm. because she didn't dare talk to the Rexburg police. Yeah. And she said she was feeling so confused because these mm-hmm. people are supposed to be my friends. And why are they lying to the police and involving me in this? And where is their kid? So she does admit that originally she lied to the Gilbert police. She told them that JJ Gilbert. had been with her. Oh, Gilbert, yeah. yeah, Gilbert police. JJ had been with her. And that then he she had given him back to his mother that Lori had taken him back. Uh, so then a few days later, she... <laughs> calls back to this same officer, officer pillar at, in Gilbert PD and says, I need to tell you that I lied to you. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't ever have JJ. My friends asked me to lie and I've been really confused and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So then they say, uh, prosecutor Wood says that they have a CD containing a phone call. So what happened is, Melanie set up a plan to call and record Chad and Lori having this conversation with Melanie. Mm -hmm. She recorded it. She says no one asked her to, she didn't do it on behalf of the police or, or anyone that she, but she tells um, this uh, officer pillar at Gilbert Mm -hmm. PD, I have this, I want to give it to you. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, just as like the most climactic things of this hearing are about to happen, mm-hmm. something goes wrong, like that happened with, with Melanie. So then yeah. they go to play the call and can't, they have some problems. So they have to take a 15 yeah. minute, um, they have to take a 15 minute recess. So of course the whole time you're like, oh my God, is this like the bombshell? What is on this call? Mm-hmm. So they come back, you know, from the and we're going to break this call down completely in another show, but we will talk about some of it today. So they come back from the recess and they play this call and it's fairly long and it is very clear. You can absolutely hear everything. So I'm going to just give you some, some notes about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So Melanie basically says, I'm, you know, I'm, she's, Oh, wait, you, you got to start with what Chad, how Chad answers the phone. I forget what sweet Melanie. Oh yes, that's Hello, right. Sweet Melanie, that is it was such a patriarchal, Mormony. Yeah. Don't want to offend yeah. our Mormon friends, but seriously, I mean, I think we can all agree. You know, that's was, how women continue to be put in their place. Hello, yes, reminded Melanie. Yeah, yes. that. Yeah. yeah, it was creepy. Mm-hmm. So then he puts her on speakerphone with Lori. And Melon just kind of jumps right in like, hey, um, you know, I'm I'm worried about you guys. I'm worried about what's going on here. Can you explain to me what's going on? Why did you ask me to do that for the with the police? Where, where are is you? JJ? Where are you? Yes, she starts with where are you? Mm-hmm. Which I thought was interesting because she, you know, she knows this court call is, is being recorded. And at this point, they don't. Right. Although and they, they figure her. it out. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't really tell her. They're kind of vague. They're Idaho. Near Idaho. I mean, they're in Hawaii at this point, but they tell her near Idaho. Near Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. So she's kind of trying to get some information for the police, but she really, I was very proud of her. She really held her own. 
mm-hmm. with them about, hey, I'm worried about you. And I think you're mm-hmm. doing some stuff you shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. And really got very, okay, if you are an ex-Mormon, or even if you are a Mormon, you have mm-hmm. probably had this experience where someone comes to you and says, I'm worried about you. Yes. I'm worried about your salvation. And I would like mm-hmm. to share a scripture with you. Yep. That was like, oh. God. Yeah. So we've all been there. Uh, if it seemed weird, if you heard this and it seemed mm-hmm. weird, um, the way that they spoke to each other, it's not weird for Mormons at all. No, they, they were challenging each other and they into a, yep. A religious pissing match, like a scripture yep. challenge kind of pissing match, <laughs> yeah. which was really funny. Um, and, mm-hmm. but just wild, like basically mm-hmm. Melanie would say, you have fallen off the path. She said, you've been mm-hmm. deceived you're being deceived by Satan and the stuff that you're doing isn't okay. And she called them a name, a name that mm-hmm. most of you guys probably, you might not have even caught this, or if you did, you probably mm-hmm. don't know what this name is, but it really, really offended Lori. Yes. The name is Korahor. Yes. K-O-R-I-H-O-R. Korahor. Really? Korahor. You're going to go there. Korahor. Yeah. Well, Korahor is an antichrist in the Book of Mormon, in the Book of Alma. And that uh, Korahor demanded a sign from God as proof of his existence, and God struck him dumb. And man, <laughs> did it offend Lori to be called Korahor. Holy cow. Oh, really bad. Did not like really that. Bad. Yes. Uh, they had a conversation about how Lori has rested the scriptures. The idea is that she's wrestled them into fitting her own narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she's gotten involved in some dark junk and opening dark portals. If you know, portals are kind of a big thing with these guys. Mm-hmm. She said over and over again, Lori said over and over again, it just wouldn't be good for JJ for me to tell you where he is. That's just not what's safe for him. And he is mm-hmm. perfectly fine and you don't and need happy. to worry. And the happy. She said it was so yeah. telling. She said he is, he is safe and he's happy. Ooh, yeah. that is such a, he's in a oh. better place now that sounded yeah. so familiar yeah it did it did it, it just almost sounded like code yeah it did. Uh, yeah one of the things that melanie brought up is that i spoke to your brother alex and i asked him where um where uh, jj is and he told me you don't want to know where jj is uh-huh. and she said and that what he does won't that ever be found. and that he won't ever be found mm-hmm. and and uh, Melanie said, Lori, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, he, he's fine. He's just safe. Mm-hmm. And, and and you don't want to know because that could put you in danger. Then there was this implying that it would put, and, and Melanie kept going back at them. How will it put me in danger to know where he is? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. She really stayed very rational through the whole thing. Um, I felt like. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't know what we are up against, Melanie. No more yeah. sweet Melanie. You know, yeah. you don't know what we're up against. Melanie, the way he said her name, he kept saying it in that really condescending tone. He didn't manage to shame her, though. He really didn't. She she held to the course. I was she more did. impressed with her today than I have been at all, really. Yeah. But yeah. he said, my own sister-in-law is trying to stir up a bunch of theories about Tammy's death and somehow blame me, um, mm-hmm. which is totally accurate some of oh, his yeah. family members I, I don't know who but some of his family members absolutely have said that that they thought from the beginning when Tammy died and then he started some big whole tale about how Tammy has been getting sicker and sicker and weaker and weaker and refused to go to the doctor and we knew it was coming 
None of that she's is fading. True. She's been fading. She's she been was fading. 49 years old. That and is something you think about somebody who's 85, you know, yeah. like, come on. And was training for some kind of a triathlon or, or a marathon yeah. or something. This yeah. person was not fading in any way, but that's no. the tale he cooked up for Melanie. They tried over and over again to gaslight her. Lori said to her, everything I have done is because the Lord told me so. And you are welcome to check in with the Lord and verify that. Yeah. Yeah. And then she got into all of their prophetic stuff and all of their experiences that they've been having, supposedly talking to Christ and all that stuff and about how no one has witnessed any of it. They've not been able to prove it to anybody else. And I don't know, they got into a bunch of sort of doctrinal uh, things, but it was interesting because I think this is the first time ever, maybe that uh, one of their followers had challenged them. Boy, it had their hackles. They couldn't believe it. Yeah. Uh Lori said repeatedly, I would have never expected this out of you. Yes. I love you. Yeah. I love you. I would never expect this out of you. Yeah. 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 And just if Melanie would say, I things seem to be, to be going wrong with you, this you just don't seem like yourself. She would say, really? Because I think you don't seem like yourself. And it was just this mm-hmm. get back crap that went on for a long time. And then, um, oh, she said, Lori kept saying that JJ was protected and that she is protected by Jesus and that nothing bad will ever happen to her or her children, mm-hmm. um, which, I, which was really icky considering mm-hmm. that this conversation happened long after the children were dead, you know, just yeah. well. And Melanie, he is returning really soon. Christ is coming really soon. Yes. And we're right. all going to stand right there and witness it together. And you'll know, and we'll all yeah. know because he's coming really soon. Very. Yeah, and then you will know what, yeah. where, where you screwed up here, Melanie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Melanie tried to say, you can understand my concerns here. Can't you? And yeah. so then, no, they couldn't. Mm-hmm. Then, then um, they kept saying that her boyfriend uh, was putting all these thoughts in her head and all this stuff. It was terrible. That was interesting. You have changed. You yeah. have changed. Who is putting these thoughts in your head? It's David, isn't it? Yeah. It was like all of a sudden their little kid sister that they'd been patting on the head and taken along for the ride wasn't yeah. listening to them anymore and they couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. So then the call ended really abruptly. Like, obviously, Lori hung up, mm-hmm. but she said she was standing with Jesus Christ. And then she hung up the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting, also, because, you know, this is the only thing that isn't hearsay <laughs> that right. Melanie had, really, because mm-hmm. this is recorded and all three people were on the phone. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they were very clearly the, the people in question here. Mm-hmm. Um, this was with only 10 minutes left in the hearing. And so Mr. Pryor said that there was no way he could get to all of his questions to cross examine Melanie uh, today. And so that will be what we start with tomorrow. Yeah. I just am so confused about where Pryor is going with this because first of all, I, he didn't object to any of the hearsay. Mm-mm. Could have didn't. Well, um, he did throughout the whole rest of the hearing. And so we got here. He didn't object to this piece of evidence. Yeah, which you know wasn't recorded or you know created in a way that there were any witnesses except for Melanie and David and Chad and Lori. You know right. there 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 could have been some objections, perhaps. You know maybe. There, but, there uh, you know Idaho is a, is a is a single uh, party consent call state. So mm-hmm. in Idaho, you can make a call like this and it is legal. Not right. every state allows that. In some states, in this. Yeah 
call was made. She was in, Melanie was in Utah when she made this call to yeah. people in Idaho. And I don't know what um, well, Utah no, people in Hawaii. Oh, in Hawaii. That's in right. Hawaii. She thought yeah. they were in Idaho or maybe. Yeah. But in Hawaii. So I don't know if that will come to play. But if it, if it did, I would think this, this would have been, um, there would have been an, an objection before it played. You'd think so. One good point that one of our listeners made, uh, academic aunt said, Lori said twice something about maybe Mel was recording it for the police. And indeed she did. She did. I don't know why you're being contentious with us unless you are recording this for the police. Yeah, she did say that. She did. Yes. But then she continued on. I mean, it didn't stop her. I mean, she talked for quite a lot longer after she said Mm -hmm. that. So I don't know, but that was a pretty um, uh, tense way to end the meeting. Because well, how do you think we, Melanie you know, feels tonight knowing, first of all, obviously it scared the shit out of her to go in that courtroom today. Of course it yeah. did. And yeah. the way Chad was burning holes in her with his eyes during her testimony was pretty intense. Oh, yeah. And he did it the whole time. But at any rate, so not only did she have to come and do this today, she has to come back in the morning and face Pryor. And Pryor was yeah. a flaming asshole today. I can't even imagine what tomorrow is going to be like. And that was with police officers. I mean, that's with people who are used to defense attorneys. Yeah, I I feel for Melanie. I I am also proud of her because this was a brave thing to do. Yeah. Considering truly in the past what a follower she was of Chad and Lori to come out against them and to have recorded them and gotten all of this. You know, I mean, it doesn't prove that they killed the children. Uh, They do very clearly admit to the asking her to lie though yeah it's yeah. most 100 in there so oh, yeah totally um, you know and, and i'll be honest i've been a little disgusted with her and right now i feel like all i want to do is lift her up and fortify her and you know stand behind her I because feel like she has only been able to say parts of what she knows yeah. because she has agreed with the police that she won't release yeah. everything she knows until it comes to these mm-hmm. kinds of hearings and you can see it because in her other um in her interview that the three-part interview that east idaho news did with her with nate eaton she didn't release a lot of this. This yeah. wasn't all in there. And it did seem like she was kind of hedging, but I think this is why. I think so too. So some interesting things. I mean, this hearing was scheduled to last two days. Yeah. I'm very curious to see if it actually does considering how yes. much time was spent today. Only five mm-hmm. witnesses. And there are a lot yeah. of witnesses and the, uh, you know, the constant breaks to run the AC and, you know, there was a lot of recesses today. There were tech issues twice. There was, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I I wonder, I really seriously wonder if this is going to go more than two days at this point. It could quite easily. It could quite easily, I think. So the other interesting thing, of course, is that you know that Mark Means, Lori's attorney, is watching Mm -hmm. Whole thing with bated breath. He's probably, you know, filled an entire journal today yes. <laughs> with all of what's gone down because this, all of this evidence is basically the same stuff that's going to be said next week at Lori's hearing. Uh, not yeah. all exactly, but pretty close, you know. Pretty close. So, what's going to happen? It's possible that Lori and Mark Means decide to waive their preliminary. They could if they wanted to. I don't know mm-hmm. that they will, but they could. Um, but you know, he's getting a really good peek into what's coming because it's all on the table right now. Right. That'll be interesting too, to see what happens there. And it was interesting. Pryor tried several times to ask the police officers questions that he's not allowed to ask. He was pushing to get more information, more of what they know. Mm -hmm. And boy, Woods was all over that. He was not allowing that for one second because Mm -hmm. 
they don't have to show their whole hand at this hearing. They only have to show a little, just mm -hmm. enough evidence to hold him over for trial. They don't have to give the whole story. And you could mm -hmm. see Pryor trying to get more several times, and but he was not successful. He absolutely well, and he Woods was a rock star in court today. He was. He was. He was. He had a couple of people behind him and, and a person to the side of him that were all part of his team, and they were helping. And and in mm -hmm. fact, uh, the the gentleman with him, whose name I actually didn't catch, she's actually the one that Ramel. questioned. Was it Ramel? Mm -hmm. Actually questioned the uh, the dean. Mm -hmm. The dean um, student. So he had his team there. He did a really, really good job. I was I was impressed with him a lot. Uh, one moment with Pryor that again made me go, "You are just too much ick for me." Mm -hmm. He uh, motioned to the court reporter and said, I can see I'm going too fast for you. I'm going to slow down. I saw you put your hand up and give me the motion. I'm going too fast. I'm going to slow down for you. It was so gross. It and was. I just wanted so to get to say, you're gross. You assault women and you don't get to talk to another female in this courthouse today. Of course they yeah. can't. But you know, really, yeah. ooh, he is so icky. But we can think it, right? Yeah, he is. He is quite icky and he mm -hmm. is you know, as, as most defense attorneys are, they fight everything down to the most minute detail. And he did that several times, mm -hmm. right up until Melanie got on the stand. And then he didn't say a damn word. So I'm dying to hear what he has to say tomorrow. That'll be interesting. Also, mad props to Fremont County. They are yes. doing absolutely their best. They are, you know, they're handling this the best they can. I was impressed this morning when I was at the courthouse that two of the officers that were you know, directing traffic and that we're, you know, keeping the area that Chad would walk through blocked off were female and the bailiff mm -hmm. was female. Yeah. You know, and in other areas that might not be that big of a deal, but Rexburg frequently is. has no female cops, you know, and I mean, there's, there yeah. are very few female police officers in our area. So yeah. to see three of them, you know, representing Fremont County today, I was really impressed with that. Yeah, I was too. And you just have to understand what a tiny little town this is, what a tiny little court this is. They don't cover, they don't handle stuff like this at all. No. They don't have to deal with press and, you know, all the stuff they've had to deal with in this situation. So I agree. Mad mm -hmm. props to them. They've done a great job. Yeah, absolutely. Let's hope it continues. They, uh, you yeah. know, they, they're working hard and obviously taking some cues, I think, from bigger kids, you know, I mean, tomorrow we're mm -hmm. going to hear from three different FBI agents that were subpoenaed, or at least we think it's tomorrow. Yeah. There's still a lot to come. There is, there is, there's still a lot to come. So mm -hmm. don't worry. We will be back tomorrow night with our update on what happens in day two. And we will be working on some specific things. Some of the stuff that came out today, particularly that phone call between Melanie, Chad and Lori, we want to mm -hmm. break that down for you. Particularly if you don't have any familiarity with Mormon doctrine and, mm -hmm. and Mormon culture, that call might've been Greek to you. And so we want to share Probably. that. So we're going to break that down for you here in the next couple of days as well. Yeah. And talk to but you about Mark what they words. were referencing. Yeah. Mark my words until the end of time. You probably never read unless you've read the right. book of Mormon. So lots of scriptures. Yeah. Well, but mark yeah. my words right now from now until the end of time, anytime someone pisses me off, they are core horror to me. Core horror. Yeah. I'm loving that. Mm -hmm. I'm totally using that. <laughs> That's too totally. much. Well, thank you for hanging out here with us. And as always, we appreciate you listening and being present. And we will be back tomorrow with more updates on what ha what is happening in the Daybell Vallow case. So this has been True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. I'm Christy Brower here with my co-host. 
Katie, Katie Weaver. Weaver. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for everybody. being here, guys. <laughs> Take Have care. Good night. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.